Tonight, we're going to talk about probably the, what would seem the more classic theme of Pesach, which is Pesach and freedom. And I think whenever we talk about freedom, it's important for us to, I guess, know what we mean when we say freedom. Freedom takes on a lot of faces. So, to start, I want to analyze that we don't have a color printer data, only a, a black and white printer. I'm going to put a request in to leave the page this side up right now. I mean, we're talking about freedom and everyone has free choice to do whatever they want, so I can't make you do anything. But um, I want to look at these four pictures and see which of these pictures evoke the thought or the feeling of freedom. So A is just, you know, you're living the American dream, you're driving down a coastal road in your Porsche convertible, your hands are flying up, your hair is flying in the air, you're looking at the beautiful sea on the left, but you can't really see because it's black and white, but really it's blue. And you're just driving, there's no cars, three miles in front of you, three miles behind you, you just go as fast as you want, just enjoying the open roads. Free, right? In a certain sense. B is, um, going to make up the scenario, but the lawyer is, is defending this seemingly criminal, trying to exonerate him, free him from his sentencing, right? The third one is the giving of the Torah at Sinai. And the fourth one is traveling around the world. So, you know, what, what exactly is freedom? Our first initial reaction when you ask, your gut reaction, what's freedom? Look at the pictures before you realize you're in the rabbi's class. And then you, and you, what, what's your initial reaction? Reaction is, oh, you can just go around the world. You could travel. You're unrestricted. You could, you don't, you're not bound by your job. You're not bound by your boss. You're not bound by maybe even your spouse or by your parents or by, you could just, you're just free to do anything you want in the whole world. Right? So now is that freedom? Let's start with that freedom and we'll, we'll get closer to Mark's freedom. Is that freedom an ideal? We say the land of the free. What is it? What is the American ideal of freedom? What is freedom in that sense? If freedom is, no restrictions. You could do you want it sounds exciting when you think of it in terms of, of airplanes and in terms of uh, country roads and convertibles. But I think everyone would agree the example they say is maybe people have been here on the child side, maybe not on the parent side yet. But you know, you have your teenage think back to the teenage years and maybe there was a point in time when your parents said something that you didn't like, possibly and you got really upset at them, and you, uh, I don't know if anyone here would do this, but you can imagine the scenario, and this kid gets really, really upset, this teenager, and they, they drop a bunch of expletives towards their parents, and they curse them out, and they start walking away. And, you know, the parents respond like, hey, Jimmy, that's, you, you can't talk like that to your mother, that's not respectful. And Jimmy says, what do you mean? It's a free country, I can say what I want. Right, so, is he right or is he wrong? Free country. Freedom of speech. But even freedom of speech has limits. I can't go into a theater and yell fire, right? Oh, even theater, right, exactly. So, so what is the freedom then? So what freedom are we, are we talking about? So it's just the most free that you can have. I mean, everyone agrees, right? You think about this scenario. For example, yeah. so what a, a terrible scenario. We'll go to the extreme now. Nicholas Cruz, right? He goes into the school and he shoots up the whole school in Florida. You're free to do what you want. You can free to take That's a gun and... Take a relevant of whether or not you believe how you should deal with that scenario. The inherent act he did was a free act. If he's free to do whatever he wants, so he's free to take a gun and shoot up at school. Right? If you take freedom to the extreme of just free, unbridled, endless freedom, what I'm just pointing out is, is that that clearly can't be yeah. the ideal of freedom. Chaos. Yeah. It's chaos. It's anarchy. It's narcissism. It's, it's self-absorbed and not... 
It doesn't work like that, right? Everyone agrees, even in the basic American ideal of freedom, there's limitations, like Mark said, right? There's limitations of, let's say, of, you know, personal safety, limitations of national security, limitations of someone else's rights. There's multiple different limitations towards one's freedom. So the question is, where, where is that balance? Where, what aspect of freedom is that beautiful, we're praising the land of the free part of it, one part of freedom is that part that is like super sensitive and if you're not careful with it, you're just going to kind of get lost in the craziness of it. So I want to look at the at Pesach as a basis to find the answer to this question. I think if we look at the, both the, the verses of Pesach and the way, we, the way we act on Pesach, what we do on Pesach, at least one aspect of it, we see a very interesting thing. And we find a theme in the verses, if we can get a volunteer to read the first verse on the page. And say to him, let my son go, that he may serve me, and he will refuse to let him go. Behold, I will play his firstborn son. Okay, let's get somebody to read the next verse. Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, So says Hashem, God of Israel, let my people go, and they will celebrate with me in the wilderness. Okay, Sasha, one more verse. Take the next one. Then Hashem spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, So says Hashem, let my people go, that they may serve me. So what's the theme in all of these verses that we find in terms of the freedom of the Exodus? Let something go so that they can perform an action. Right, an more or less? Service. An act of service. I mean, it's an interesting yeah. thing, right? Everyone always quotes the famous statement, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. But they forget there's a second half to that sentence. Often not quoted for some reason, but every single time I believe, almost, I think, I'm pretty sure every single time, I think there might be one exception, but every single time Moses goes to Pharaoh or God tell Moses what he should say when he goes to Pharaoh, it's always let my people go so that they may serve me, so that they stop with me in the desert, so that they... There's always a second half to that statement. It's freedom for a purpose. Concept being, it's not just freedom from, but it's also freedom towards, 100%. And that is a very interesting thing in the holiday of Pesach itself. There's a very interesting thing we do, the Pesach. And that is, if we can just move down the table, Chad, read the next verse here. And you shall count from the day after the day of rest, Passover, from the day you brought the sheep of the waving, seven complete weeks. A very interesting thing here. Pesach lasts biblically for seven days in Israel, and outside of Israel in America, it's an eight-day holiday. Despite the fact that there's an eight-day holiday, which in and, of, in and of itself is a special day, there is a mitzvah that we start on the second night. Right after we complete the first day of Pesach, we start counting the omers. And we count 50 days, as explained in this verse, until the end of those 50 days we celebrate Shavuos. And we find there's a clear linking of these two holidays. The holidays of Passover, which is the holidays of the exodus of leaving the physical, leaving of bondage of slavery, and the holiday of Shavuos, which is the receiving of the Torah Mount Sinai 50 days later. We, in our own actions, in the middle of Pesach, we already start counting towards Shavuos. So it's clearly part of the Pesach, you know, part of the Pesach activities is counting towards Shavuos. And another fascinating thing is, Shavuos is the only holiday in Judaism that does not have a set date on the calendar. 
you look at Pesach, it's the 15th day of the first month in the Torah. Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the 7th month. Every day has a, a date of a month. You know when Shavuos is? Shavuos is 50 days after Pesach. It doesn't have a date. It's interlinked to Pesach. Shavuos is the end of the process of Pesach, which is the same concept. Let my people go so that they serve me. We're leaving the Exodus. Pesach is we're, we're viewing ourselves as if we took that Exodus, we left Egypt, we walked out, and as soon as we leave, we're starting a process, a 49-day process, till the 50th day of self-development, of character development. They didn't say, oh, we're free, let's party. They said, oh, we're free, let's work on ourselves to become prophets so we can experience God's revelation at Sinai. Which is a, a very interesting thing when you think about freedom in this sense. This is a very unique freedom when you compare this type of freedom to, I don't know, the emancipation of America, for example, right? Here's a very unique freedom when you're in the middle of a process, not just freedom from, but it's freedom towards a process, towards a goal. We're starting at Pesach, we're leaving at Pesach, and we're going towards Shavuot. I think this really deepens the question. The question is, what exactly is freedom? So freedom is getting the Torah. Okay, this is like very freeing. So the most free people in the world are the Orthodox Rebels, right? It's very... Very freeing. Probably one of the most, I think, stereotypical concepts is, you know, like, oh, orthodoxy is so restricting, so non-freeing, so demanding. I can't do everything that I want to do. So when we think of freedom, and the Torah is describing freedom as the leaving of Egypt so that you may worship me. That's the whole concept of freedom that we're working on our Pesach Seder. The second, night, the second Seder, we're going to count the Omer in the middle of the Seder, you, count the, you start counting, you start counting towards Shavuot. So our freedom from is getting us a freedom to what exactly, I think it's, we're deepening the question, what exactly is this concept of, of um, freedom? So I want to start the conversation by sharing a few stories and quotes of people that have been in various real-life scenarios and seeing their freedom or not. So we'll start with sorry, people, does everyone already know what their refuseniks are? Rivi, you want to tell us what the refuseniks are? Yes, uh, in uh, communist Russia, where people were not were refused to be um, smushed down by the regime, the communists, and they, they were practicing religion despite the communist regime. And so, uh, if, um, there were there were from multiple religions. The most, the largest group of them was a group of Zionistic Jews that wanted to go to Israel, and and Sasha's mother was. One of them. Okay, so he probably could tell us more details. But there's a famous refusenik whose name was Nathan Sharansky. His name is, I believe. Anatoly originally, correct? But he goes, I think, did he go by Anatoly still? No. So then Nathan, right? He went, made Aliyah eventually. He finally got to Israel. He changed his name to, to Nathan Sharansky, who was one of the most famous, um, I could say, Jewish refuseniks. And he, because he became a very involved in politics and other things afterwards, big speaker for Israel. And, um, he says a, a very interesting thing. He was in, in jail, in various jails in Russia for nine years because he wanted to go to Israel. And he didn't accept the Russian And he says growing up, he lived a double life that was very difficult for him. He said when he was five years old, Stalin died. And his father told him, he says, he remembers his father telling him that this is one of the greatest miracles for the Jews that Stalin died. Because if he would stay alive, we have very little chance of survival here. But you're going to go to school tomorrow. And when you go to school, you're going to need to cry on the floor with every other kid is crying on the floor. You're going to have to be to pretend like you're, this is a tragedy for you also, because that's what you have to do. And he said the next morning he went to school, and all the kids sat on the floor, and they all cried over the loss of their great leader. 
And he said that his whole life, he grew up with this like internal strife where like, he said he knew he was Jewish, which he didn't, he said he didn't, he never heard of circumcision, never heard of Hanukkah, he never heard of, like he, he knew very little about Judaism, but he knew he was Jewish, and he knew that he wanted Israel, he liked Israel, and he knew he had to be Russian. So I want to read a quote to you that he said, turn over your, your picture now, we'll read the top quote together. The fact that physically I was put into the prison under such and such conditions doesn't matter. The moment you say a thing that you believe in and do a thing you believe in, if I feel myself part of this great historic process and I am true to the image of God in which we are created, I am a free person. This is a different part of this interview. I liked very much during interrogations to tell the team of interrogators anti-Soviet jokes. He, he said earlier, by the way, that like the KGB would try literally to like, every day they were threatened with death, threatened to kill them, and he, he realized that as soon as he gives up on what he believes in, he's dead. All he has in life is what he believes in. So even despite the fact that everyone's trying to coerce you into whatever they're trying to coerce you to do, he, he, the one thing he had still was his beliefs. So he said, I like very much during interrogations to tell a team of interrogators anti-Soviet jokes. And they were almost bursting with laughter, and they could not. And I said to them, you cannot even laugh when you want to laugh. And you want to tell me that I'm in prison and you're free? So that's a very powerful line in terms of what freedom really is. If you read some stuff he's written, I found it very powerful. It's not only him, there's a bunch of other ones. Shrevsky, Yol Shrevsky, is that his name? A bunch of you, you read there a few. The people who lived with a passion and they were in jail not because they were criminals, but they were in jail because of a belief they had. You could probably find this in other, possibly in other, in other situations as well. But this is the place where I know it happened significantly. It's a common theme in all of their works. They all talk about how free they felt in jail. Yol Sharansky, I think, talks about how he saved a teeny bit of, um, of jelly and he ripped off a thread from his shirt and he stuck it inside. Uh, he ripped the button off of his shirt and he stuck it inside and he lit it on Hanukkah, the Hanukkah candles, like tiny pieces of jelly. And how he had that sense of, of freedom even though you're in jail. So I want to try to figure out what, what is that freedom. Right, it's not a freedom of you can go, you can't travel the world. You're in the gulag. You're stuck in one of the most hellish places you could be on this world. But they had this inner sense of freedom. Right? The fact that physically I was put into prison under such and such conditions doesn't matter. I am a free person, he says. Now I want to contrast that to another extreme of modern day society. We live in a very free country here. And there's a a major addiction problem in America on so many different accounts. I took this quote, I was trying to find a good quote, and I couldn't find a great quote, so I just found this quote on, from, from theatlantic.com. I was a slave to addiction, right? I'm free to do anything I want. We can legalize marijuana, we can legalize cocaine. You can do whatever you want. You can be free to make every decision you want in the world. But when you don't have the strength to choose, back to what Mark was saying before, so we're slaves. We're slaves to it. This fellow named Nassim Talib says the difference between technology and slavery is that slaves are fully aware that they are not free. I thought that was a powerful quote. But the basic concept is, I think, is that there's, there's an internal freedom, there's an external freedom. And I want to try to figure out what that is together here. I'll tell you one more story. So I think these are extreme. I want to tell you one more kind of like everyday story. If I think how we can make freedom apply to us. This is the Sarah Rigler that I'm quoting here. She wrote a story. She's a woman who lives in Jerusalem. And she wrote a story about her personal freedom uh, an interesting story. So she said the following story. She said it was her birthday. She lives in the old city of Jerusalem. And they don't make that much money. She doesn't have so much money. And she was a little uh, upset over the fact that 
They couldn't really afford to celebrate her birthday properly. She was sad about it. So her husband, she viewed this, you know, partially to blame as her husband because she doesn't have money as his fault. And he, uh, he said something to her that angered her in a certain way. And just, you know, your natural knee-jerk reaction is to lash back at him and be angry at him. And she said so many things that she wished she never would have said to him. She really upset, really worked up, and railed into him. She recognized she was upset. She walked away. She calmed her down. She apologized later. But she, she ruined the mood. The birthday wasn't so exciting. It was a pretty, uh, she kind of killed the mood. Even though he gave her a nice card and a little present, but she killed the mood. She was, she was, she was bothered. She was upset at this. She wasn't, she was unhappy based on how she reacted. And the next day they had plans to go to um, the hilltops near Rishon Lezion because there's a certain kind of wildflower there. And honor her birthday, they were going to celebrate by having a picnic with this beautiful, around these beautiful flowers. So that morning she wakes up, she goes to the Western Wall. And she's still feeling bad about her explosion the day before. So she writes that she goes to the Western Wall and she's thinking and she's praying. She's trying to figure it out. She says, look, I really don't like when these things happen. I don't like when I blow up my husband. He said something mean to me. I, I don't want that to be my reaction. What am I supposed to do? I, I didn't like think and make a conscious react. I didn't like think. I didn't have any thoughts about what should I do in the situation. He said something and I just responded. It wasn't like, there was no room for me to like change it. I just, I just reacted. That was my reaction. That's who I am. That's what, that was my initial reaction. How could I change it? Like, what can I do in the future that I could affect a way of changing how that scenario would play out when it was an unthought out natural thing? And she was struggling with this. She was thinking about it. And she came up with a plan. She said, here's my plan. She has her wedding ring. She keeps it on her right hand. So she says, next time I get, I feel the need to say a, sword, a heated remark or an, an, a, some kind of stronger remark to my husband. Before I say it, as soon as I feel that urge, I'm going to take my ring off of my right finger, my right hand, I'm going to put it on my left hand, and then I'm going to take it off my left hand and put it on my right hand. That's what she thought of herself. And she told herself that she was going to think. During that time when she's transferring the ring, she's going to think, the goal I want from life is to become closer to my husband. Is what I'm about to say going to bring me closer to my husband? Or is what I'm about to say going to make me more distant from my husband? And if the answer is more distant, I am not going to say it. Period. That's what she decided. Feeling all encouraged and happy, she leaves the Western Wall, she comes home, they jump in the car, they head out towards Rishon Tzion. She's starving because she prayed a little bit longer than she was planning on, and she didn't uh, have a chance to eat breakfast. So, sure enough, she asked the people around, and she said, so, what did you guys, uh, her, sorry, people around, who's around? She has her husband there and her daughter there, people that are with her. She says, oh, so did you guys pack the food? I'm really hungry, like, what did you guys pack? So he says, the husband says, oh, I, I was supposed to pack the food. I thought you told me that our daughter was going to pack the food. And the daughter says, I mean, you told me to make the sandwiches, so I made some tuna fish sandwiches, but I didn't pack any of the snacks or the chips or I didn't pack any of that stuff. And she says, she starts getting this feeling. She's like, she knows. It's like, I know 100% that I told my husband to pack the snacks, to pack the chips. I remember where, I pointed him and said, we keep the chips over there. I told him where everything is. He knows all the details. We had this conversation. There is no question. I'm grumpy. I'm starving. I didn't eat breakfast. Now we have no food for the entire day. And we're poor. We don't have any money to even buy food if we wanted it. Ring off of right finger. Ring on to left finger. 
Bring off of and here's what she says. This is the quote of what she wrote. As I sat there in my self-chosen silence, as she's switching her hand, her ring from hand to hand, I experienced a feeling of exaltation and freedom. I could do it. I could choose which course I wanted to follow according to where I wanted to end up. I was in control. I was free. This is what Mark was saying before, right? She had the freedom to choose not to do something that she wanted to do. So what's the concept here again? We have Nathan Sharansky. He's sitting in jail. And he's claiming he's the freest person, much more free than the people that are uh, interrogating him and beating him. We could, all reckon, we could all recognize a certain element of truth to that, I think. It's an aspect of freedom that he had. We have people that are free. They go to work every day. They interact with every day. But they can't get off their phone. They can't interact with people face-to-face. They, they don't eat properly or sleep, or sleep properly. Because I saw some crazy statistics. Now, look, I today about if you if you Google like quotes on technology uh, addiction, there's like I think like 35 percent of people in America check their phone during the night. Like they like wake up in the night at some point in time to check their phone. Like some like crazy number, and like 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 I think like 50 percent check like after they're already in bed. Like, the numbers are like astounding. But we're free. Technically, we do anything we want. We're free. There's much more freedom officially, externally, seemingly. And a refusenik in jail head. So if you think about it, I think what, what freedom is, freedom requires a deep self-awareness to know what you really want, who you really are, what your real values and morals are. And freedom is your ability to choose that and to express what your inner self, your inner soul, your deeper part of you really wants. And when you're properly expressing the inner part of you, the part that's, that's really you, like what you value, what you believe in, who you really are, when you express that outwards, it's the most exhilarating, freeing feeling you have in the world. Because you're, there's a flowingness from the deepest inner part of your soul all the way out into your body of just freedom of your inside coming out. And I think there's a, a, a common error that I think we look for in society at large and that we're, we look for our freedom try avoid getting into any political issues here, but we try to look for our freedom by the freedoms that other people have. And we say that if that person has this freedom, I should also have this freedom. If that person can do something, I should also do that. Or if I want something, I want to be able to do what anyone else could do. That's almost the opposite of what we define freedom as just now. There's no real definition to it. Everyone can do whatever they want. Everyone could, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm avoiding the legal aspect. I'm just saying the underlying right. happiness, exhilarating freedom aspect of it. When, only, when you're defining your personal freedom based on what somebody else wants to do. Or somebody, he could do that, so I also want to do that. If you want to do that because you think this is your form of self-expression, that's a very different debate. That's a very different discussion. Don't tell me if he could do that, I could do that. Say, I feel like this is my best form of self-expression. That's... I respect that if that's what you truly deep down believe. Someone truly deep down believes that Russia is amazing and Stalin was amazing. Somebody else truly deep down believes that Israel was amazing and Russia was terrible. So if you live in correspondence with your deep beliefs, you're free. I think we get caught up with a lot nowadays is we define our freedoms not based on what our inner beliefs really are, but based on what a lot of other things are telling us we should be focusing on. And we should be doing, which is why we get caught up with technology, we get caught up with social media, we get caught up with so many things that our society tells us, well, you've got to be on this, and you've got to do this, and you got to, and, and the world of marketing is pulling us in so many ways, 
But when you focus on freedom, look at these stories of, of real stories of, of deep freedom, of internal, personal, exhilarating freedom, you find a different story. I think it's just an interesting thing to focus on that for a second. And I, I want to discuss, there's a quote here from Russell Brand. Everyone knows Russell Brand? That he was a hardcore addicted to drugs. And he went clean. He's been clean at the time of the article. I remember when I read articles written, the article I read for 12 years. And he wrote, he made a documentary about his path to freedom from drug addiction. And he had a quote there that I thought was an extremely powerful quote. I didn't watch the documentary. I just saw this quote quoted. I'm going to take it from the documentary. It's the bottom quarter of the page. And he writes as follows. We have been taught that freedom is the freedom to pursue our petty, trivial desires. We can do what we want. We can follow whatever we want. Real freedom is freedom from our petty, trivial desires. And I think he's saying, he was talking about this in the context of drug addiction, where you know, you're free to do what you want, and you could party, and you could smoke, and you could be with people that you want to be with, and everything else that went with his famous lifestyle. And he said he hates it. He said he only really felt in control of himself when he, got, when he gained that self-control and that self-awareness, which he says is a daily struggle for him, but he's been clean for over 12 years now, is when he realized that that's not the real freedom. The real freedom is to find inside who he really is and to be able to live with that and express that outwards. That's what real freedom is. We now have the question, so how do we, how do we become really free? Pesach is holiday of freedom. We're celebrating, not celebrating just let my people go. We're celebrating let my people go so that they may serve me. So how do we find that freedom? What is, what is, where, do we, where do we develop that freedom from? So there's a, the first source of freedom in the Torah, very, very early on in the Torah. It's the last verse on the verses page. And we're up to Rachel for the reading. So we'll honor her with... Um, and God created man in his image, and the image of God created him. Genesis 1, verse 27, God's creating man. God creates man in his image. What does it mean to create in the image of God? See problems being created in the image of God. First of all, God says, I don't have an image. There is no image of God. God's not corporal. Corporeal. Corporeal? Corporeal. Corporeal. God has no image, right? And if the image of God, you want to say, well, maybe God is an image. He has eyes, nose, and a mouth. Dogs also have eyes, nose, and a mouth, and they're not made in the image of God. So it can't be your eyes, nose, and mouth, because all animals have eyes, nose, Knows of the mouth, and they're not made in the image of God. Man's uniquely made in the image of God. So what are the men who are made in the image of God? The answer is, is that we're made in the image of God means we have the freedom to choose. This is the verse where God gives us free choice. And like Mark said in the beginning, the difference between animals and humans are animals have instincts. Humans also have instincts. But humans also have free choice on top of that. And humans have the ability to choose to not follow their instincts. You can imagine two horses in the stable, one of them saying to the other one, oh, nay, mating season's coming up, we better go on a diet soon. Right? Like, it doesn't happen, right? Horses don't, don't care about what they're, they're not, they don't think like that. It's a human concept, right? Free choice. Should I eat healthy? Should I diet? Animals don't do that. It's a human concept, right? We have the ability to choose. Speak it out in modern, in modern terms. The Torah has been talking about this for years, but there's a modern school of thought in modern-day psychology invented by a fine Jew. His name is Daniel Kahneman. He's alive still, Nobel Prize winner. He's an Israeli-American psychologist. He wrote a book on uh, economical psychology. But it's a very interesting concept. He says that we're created, we have basically what he calls two systems. Two systems in 
the word for cognitive decision making. There you go. That's the word. System one and system two. System one is our innate emotional reaction system of how we just react to life as life happens. This has been developed by our family, our genetics, our schools, our friends, our society. Everything that we've been ever exposed to gets recorded in our brain and we interact with it and develops our way of thinking and our way of perceiving the world. And if somebody, you know, cuts you off in this, when you're driving, everyone will have a slightly different reaction to that. Or if someone in the store takes their car and bumps into you and, you know, hurts your foot. So different people will react differently to that. Some people will have the extreme blow up, turn around, yell, what are you doing? Some people will be like, ignore it. Some people will look like, hey, can you mind being careful? It's a thousand reactions, right? That innate, just emotional, knee-jerk reaction is what he calls system one. He's talking in terms of how you get people to buy stuff, marketing. People make decision-making that. System two is the rational, thought-out, um, more developed and uh, style of decision-making. The first type of decision-making happens in a second, and it happens instantaneously, and it's how we naturally think. The second type takes a longer amount of time and requires more thought. The concept is, is that in 99% of situations, we often we, we, we choose based on our system one thinking. Right? When somebody cuts you off, you get upset. You didn't choose to make that decision. That's just your decision you made. I'll give like an example. Like imagine you have a, a dictator of a country. It's not a free country. Fidel Castro. Right? And he decides that he wants to, he doesn't want to be the, he's dead. He doesn't want to be, I don't know, I'm just saying. He's a good example of a recent dictator. I don't know. I'll give you another one, live one now. Maduro. Say? Maduro. Nicholas Maduro in Venezuela. Nicholas Maduro in Venezuela. He's a, Putin in Russia, right? So Putin is a dictator, yeah? Now he decides, okay, so that's, so that's exactly what I thought. Putin is a, a dictator, right? And he decides, he, want, he doesn't want to be a dictator, he wants to be the president of a democracy, he wants to run a democracy. So he, he, he has a vote, he has an election, right? The only thing is that there's not really a choice of who you vote for. So it's true, everyone expresses their ability to vote. There was an expression of ability to choose, an expression of ability to vote, but was there really freedom there's only one option to vote for. So the option that they took was to not vote. Not vote. So you could not vote, right? So that, that's your option there. But more or less, if you, if you, your only option is, if we have a dictator creating a vote, is to vote for the dictator. So even though the person who does vote, is that vote an expression of freedom, an expression of choice of voting? No. Oh, but you're voting. Is it voting the thing of the, the concept of democracy? Well, kind of, but not really this form. In our life, we're dictated... In 99% of situations, by our system one, we have a dictatorship of what our inner mind, our inner tape, you can call it, our natural form of thinking, our subconscious mind, whatever different psychological words you want to use, how we think, how we respond. And we're constantly responding in the world based on however we respond to that situation, which could be totally predicted by somebody who studied the last 50, well, none of us are 50 years old, the last 15 years of our lives. Because it's just our knee-jerk natural reaction. The concept is, and what free choice is, and it's our ability to take system one and use system one to override system two, which is really the basic concept of what the Torah is doing for us. What's the concept? What's the Torah doing? God doesn't say, if you don't do this, he's not a dictator. If you don't do this, I'll strike you dead. There's no lightning bolts. It doesn't happen like that. Let's take a scenario, a simple scenario. Somebody comes over to you at work. He gets mad at you because he thought you were somebody else, and he embarrasses you totally in public. And you're really mad at this guy. 
And all you're imagining the rest of the day is how you're going to take revenge and get back at this guy. Because this guy totally wrongfully harmed you and insulted you. So that's, that's what you want to exactly. And your natural reaction is you're, figuring, you're buying gasoline, you're dousing his car, you're blowing it up. You have all these thoughts ready. This, this guy is, this guy is not going to live down that sentence he said, right? You're going you're gonna to get this guy back. That's your, your blood's boiling, right? And then you, you take off your ring for a second. You switch hands and you think, wait a second, I went to study Torah last night. Torah said, God says, don't take revenge. But, but I really want to take revenge because that guy's a jerk. And he was wrong. And he, he was wrong. And he, he was not justified in that. And I am justified in taking revenge. But it's wrong. It's morally, ethically wrong. Your soul deep inside of you knows if you want to express the real value inside, that real trueness of you, that exhilarating freedom of doing what's right, the Torah is guiding you and telling you, do not take revenge. That's the real freedom. There's a choice here. God, here's a choice. 613 choices. You want to take revenge? Don't just do that knee-jerk reaction. That's not a choice. That's your instinct. That's your natural. That's just what you do. I'll give you a choice here. You can take revenge, or you can have the choice. Choose not to take revenge. And you go through the mitzvah, and you find that's really the concept of the mitzvah. The whole purpose of the Mishnah in Ethics of Our Fathers that says all of this, and I'll end with one last thought after that. It says like this, Ein lecha ben chorin, elamish osik which brings us back to our picture here. There is nobody who is a free man except one who learns Torah. So Mark pulled the obvious rabbinic answer that you know where he's going here. Fine, okay, good point. But uh, too convertible. It was pretty attractive also. So what, what's the answer? The answer is, The only way to be free is by learning Torah. Why is that? Because Torah is the objective morality of man. It's that soul deep inside, that peace of God, that Salam Elohim, that image of God inside of you, that spark of holiness that each one of us have inside of us. Freedom is, like we said before, from all the stories, it's the ability to express that, that exists in harmony internally, self-aware of that, and then to express, to have a flow from the deepest recesses inside of you, in fact, to flow outwards. That's real freedom. It doesn't require anybody else in the world. You could be in jail in Russia. You could be in the deepest, worst place in the world, but when you have that inner peace, you have that exhilarating freedom of going inside and outside, inside towards outside, and that's the real freedom. It's freeing the inside towards the outside. I'll end you with one last medrash here. It's a very interesting insight to bring us back to Pesach. The freedom of Pesach, like we mentioned, is let my people go, so they shall serve me. What's the so they shall serve me? It's that they should learn this, uh, this morality. Take a look if you have a chance at you know, the drastic moral suggestions of the Torah in this time of it was given. It's, it's amazing. When you look at nowadays, so much of the world has accepted it that it's not as impressive anymore because you don't realize how much of it came from the Torah. But if you go back and look at the, the moral codes of it at the time were, it's amazing. And if you look at, that, at, at what that is, it wasn't just to let my people go from the bondage of freedom, but it was to allow them the greatest form of self-expression to choose. I'm giving you all the choices in the world. Now you have the knowledge to choose. Now, now it's just free choice. We don't always win. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. But now you have the ability to choose. And that's the greatest gift that God can give us. The matter has a, fa- a fascinating thing. So of all the Jews that left Egypt, only 20% made it out. There were a lot of Jews living in Egypt. 600,000 men left, roughly 3 million people total. That was 20% of the nation. They went up one-fifth of the nation and left Egypt in explicit verse. 80% died in the plague of darkness. Why? 
died in darkness because Egyptians shouldn't have the benefit of seeing that they all died. That's why God did it during darkness. Why did they die? They died because they didn't want to leave. It was time for the Jews to leave. We're giving you freedom now. Sometimes it's natural for us to want to stay enslaved to ourselves. It's comfortable. It's easy. You're familiar with it. It's hard to give up your cell phone. It's hard to give up your Facebook. It's hard to not be as engaged and as involved in the difference between technology and slavery is that slaves are fully aware that they are not free. Right? That's what Pesach is all about. Pesach is all about choosing freedom and saying, we would be the people that left. Oh, it's hard to leave. We're going to leave. And we're not just leaving from for a party. We're leaving from and we're, we're free from and we're free too. But we're that free too. is going to be the most exhilarating, freeing experience possible because we're going to be able to express the true godliness inside of us. They give us all a blessing as we continue on 10 short days to Pesach. And we said at our Seder, the whole Seder is royalty. If we do a Seder, you're supposed to lean like royalty. You left. Why? Because that's who we are. Each one of us is great. Each one of us is amazing. Each one of us has such greatness inside of us that if we could just learn to recognize our own inner greatness and not get caught up in everybody else's inner greatness and everybody else's stuff they have going on and just focus on how I can make myself great, express my inner values and morals, bring that into the world, we'll all be all of exhilarating free lives. Self-blessing, we should have a Pesach that equips us and enables us to live a truly exhilarating and free life. Thank you. I have a question. Yes, please. Um, and I apologize if this is already answered. But, so if God is omniscient, do we really have free choice? Oh, the basic question. Do we have free choice? Have you? Okay, does that make me too personal? So I won't ask this question. But um. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, before I respond, so what, what do you what do you think? I mean, I think that it's still a choice, but ultimately, like, God's aware what decision we're gonna make. Okay, perfect. I don't have to answer. I like to answer perfect. <laughs> perfect. on the show. We definitely. I mean, I think we assume that's that's a very basic question for all those that want. More answers to this question. I believe this was discussed in the God series, part three, available to you on YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> little shout out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the concept. And I mean, it's, uh, you can, the Rambam writes that the answer to this question is deeper than the sea is deep and wider than the sky is wide. But there's, you know, there's a lot of layers to it. But the basic answer is, like you said, that there definitely is free choice. We live our lives all day assuming free choice. If anyone's ever gotten upset at their spouse before, or yelled at their kid before, you obviously assume they had the freedom to choose to do whatever they did that upset you. Or else you have no right to yell at them for it, right? Because if they didn't choose it, then you don't have the right to be upset. Yeah, but you, don't have, you, don't, not, you didn't have the choice to yeah. yell either. It's just your natural reaction, right? So yeah, there definitely is one of the basic concepts of Judaism is free choice, and that is a very important concept. You can give a whole series on that itself of how do how do you fit, fit that into God's knowledge? I was thinking that I feel like maybe it's like an extreme, extreme example. That I was kind of like thinking like in the way I think we do this in the nuance. So when you bring it to the extreme, you notice it more. Like imagine a hospital. You have you have like nurses and doctors, right? Okay. So let's say the nurses decide they want to be free. They don't feel like it's fair that they're limited and they only do certain things all the time. They want to have the same freedom as doctors have. They also want to do surgery. They also want to do do stuff that they don't get to do. They become nurse practitioners. But they don't want to have to go to school. They want to be free without school, right? Why do they have to go to school to do that? They want to do surgery. Doctors do the surgery. Why shouldn't they? It's a freedom that, that doctors have, so why shouldn't they have that freedom? Right, so that's an obvious example. It makes no sense. 
Why? Because there it's obvious for us, nurses aren't equipped for that, right? But it's the same way with all of us. I'm not equipped to be Chad Davis. I'm, I'm not. I don't have what it takes to be Chad Davis. He doesn't have what it takes to be me. We're, we're unique. We're different. So each person, you're, what, when the nurse wants to be a doctor, you miss your greatness. You're a nurse. Nurses are great. You're amazing. Be the greatest nurse. And then you're amazing. You're a doctor. Be the greatest doctor you could be. Then you'll be amazing. But when you start looking outside to being other people, well, that person is so good at it. I also want to do that. I also, right, as soon as you get into that, you enslave your inner self. Yeah, you'll never be as good as you. Cause you'll never be someone else. You're only going to be yourself. So what's freedom? Freedom is when you're yourself. You let, you let, that, you let that out. That's the same concept. The problem is that we're, we, we're, we're, as a society, very not so self-aware in general. Very distracted.